Welcome to Bethlehem Covenant Church's sermon podcast. We pray that you will be blessed as you listen to this message. Good morning, Bethlehem Covenant Church. Thanks for joining us here on this March 26th. We're already at the last Sunday of March. Hope that you're doing well. A couple announcements as we begin today uh, before we get into the sermon. And and that is that camp registration is due in one week. And so if you haven't registered your kid yet for summer camp at Covenant Cedars, go right to their website, register, make sure to use our church code when you get to that point, and it'll give you a discount for your child uh, to go to camp. We put money in for every kid who goes to camp from our church or connected to our church, a friend of somebody even. Um, And so uh, hopefully you can register your kid. We're also collecting now, and for the next couple weeks, we're collecting new socks and underwear for kids uh, for our community closet, and we're also collecting shoes, used shoes um, that you might have in your closet that aren't being worn anymore. We're collecting those to give to People City Missions. Um, these next couple weeks are a day without shoes kind of fundraiser. And so even your worst, roughest shoes that you think nobody would wear, they recycle them even. And so uh, you can still bring those in. We have a collection uh, bin right there in the foyer. You can bring them. Coming up next Sunday is Palm Sunday, which kicks off Holy Week. And so we'll have Palm Sunday services like usual in the church. On Monday, Thursday, that'll be the 6th of April, we're going to have a 6 o'clock soup supper and service downstairs in our fellowship hall. Music, message, communion together, and then soup and pie. And so if you would like to come to that, you're welcome to come at 6 o'clock. And then on Good Friday, which is April 7th, we have a service here in the sanctuary at 7 p.m. Seven different people from our church are going to share about the seven different things that Jesus spoke from the cross. We'll have music and we'll have an opportunity to, to pray and give thanks for the sacrifice Christ made. And then on Easter morning, we have our two services like normal, 8.30 and 10.30, and we have breakfast right in the middle. So you can either, if you come to the early service, stay for breakfast or come to breakfast and then go to church, whatever. But breakfast will be there from 9.15 to 10.15. And then we'll have an egg hunt for the kids at 10 a.m. And so 8.30, 10.30 is the services for Easter as well. So we're getting real close to that time and uh, looking forward to it. I want to get into the sermon for today now. If you have your Bibles, turn with me over to John chapter 17. And I'm going to read John 17 for us. And then I'm also going to read Matthew 26, 36 to 46. And um, these are, uh, as we keep working our way through the Gospel of John... This, we're now at the point where Jesus is praying in the Garden of Gethsemane on the night when he's going to be arrested. And so we're getting real close, as you can tell. We're working our way up to Easter Sunday um, when we will get to talk about the resurrection. We're getting real close to that now. So I'm going to read here for us. This is uh, Jesus' prayers as he's in the Garden. First from John 17, beginning in verse 1, it says, After Jesus said this, he looked into heaven and he prayed, Father, the hour is come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you've given to him. 
Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I've brought you glory on earth by finishing the work that you have given me to do. And so now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. I've revealed you to those to whom you've given me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they've obeyed your word. Now they know everything that you have given me comes from you. I gave them the words that you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those that you've given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all that you have is mine, and glory come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they're still going to be in the world. And I'm coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you've given to me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction that the scripture would be fulfilled. I'm coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still in the world so that they may have the full measure of joy with them. I've given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They're not of the world, even as I'm not. So sanctify them by the truth that your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I've sent them into the world. And for them, I sanctify myself, that they too may truly be sanctified." For my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them might be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. I've given them the glory you've given me, that they may be one as we're one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them, even as you've loved me. Father, I want those that you've given to me be where I am and to see my glory, the glory you've given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you've sent me. I've made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love that you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them as well. And then from Matthew 26 Verses 36 to 46, it says, Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little bit further, he fell with his face to the ground and he prayed, my father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and he found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for just one hour? He asked Peter, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation, for the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and he prayed, my father, if it's possible for this cup to be taken away, unless I drink it, but may your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more. And he prayed a third time, saying the very same thing. And then he returned to the disciples and said, Are you still sleeping? Look, the hour has come. 
The Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let's go. Here comes my betrayer. These scriptures are about prayer. Jesus was a man of prayer. We see him from the beginning all the way up until the very end, taking time to pray and be alone with the Father. It's where he found his strength and direction. He began his ministry with 40 days of fasting and prayer. In Mark 1.29, we read that it was his tradition to get up early while it was still dark and go off to a solitary place to pray. We learn in the Gospels this was what he regularly did. Jesus takes time away. Even when there's lots more that needs to be done, he knows what he has to do first. He steps away, goes up a mountain, and he prays. And then he comes down and, and with it from his time with God, and he knows. He knows what to do. He knows which disciples to pick. He knows which place to go to next. Prayer was just this necessary part of Jesus' life. And at the end in our chapter for today, we continue to see Jesus going to the Father in prayer. I wanted to read both prayers for you that Jesus prayed on his final night, the one from John, but also the one from Matthew. We learn that after the Last Supper, Jesus took his disciples to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. And this was not unusual. In Luke 22, it tells us that Jesus often took his disciples to that particular garden to pray. It was nearby, just a half a mile or so away outside of Jerusalem on a hill called Mount of Olives. It was a small olive press and a garden that was there, a secluded and a quiet place. And Jesus would go there to pray. And he does so here on the night before the cross. In Luke, it tells us that at some point, Jesus even walks a stone throw away from his disciples to pray alone. And it tells us that he knelt when he prayed. Now, before I go any further on this, I'd like to think about our own prayer life. Is prayer a natural and regular part of your life? You know, just like it was for Jesus, when you and I are faced with decisions, do we first pray about them? Do we gather maybe with our friends and our family and, and ask them to pray with us, just like Jesus did with his disciples? Do we have a particular place that we go to pray? Maybe it's our room and we shut the door. Maybe it's during lunch and we take a little drive and sit in our car and and pray a while in the silence to God. Maybe it's in this sanctuary. Maybe it's outside for a walk. Where do you go to pray? To meet with God. To seek his help and direction and strength. Our God is always listening. You can pray to him at any time. He's not far away and he's always watching over you. In the middle of the night, you can pray to him. In the middle of the day, we are invited to call out to him. We are invited to approach the throne of grace and receive help in our time of need. Prayer is not just something for a pastor and a priest, but the Lord invited even little children to come to him. In James 1, it says, All who lack wisdom should ask the Father, who will give generously without finding fault. 
In the Old Testament, we see prayer. We see Moses meeting with God. We read about Esther asking her people to pray at a key time. We read how Elijah ran to solitude in the wilderness to pray and meet with God. We read about how David prayed when he was feeling good and when he was feeling low. He prayed for greater faith and courage, forgiveness for his sins and direction as a king. He prayed just for his thanksgivings. You know, saying those out to God, and he also prayed for protection from his enemies. Well, Jesus taught his disciples how to pray. We read about that in Matthew 6. We call it the Lord's Prayer. And it is a great outline for us. But we're to pray more than the Lord's Prayer. We're to pray our own words and our own hearts out to God as well. Well, we learn in the Gospels here that Jesus was a man of prayer. He even knelt. You know, I have at times knelt to pray. I don't do it every time, but I, when I do kneel, there is something about that posture that reminds me of who I am talking to and that he is holy. We read that Jesus knelt when he prayed in the, in the garden. It says that he was anguished, he was exhausted, he was troubled by what was coming. He knew everything that was coming. He knew that Judas was going to be arriving soon with soldiers to take him away. He knew the flogging that he would have to endure, the rejection by his own people yelling crucify, and the crown of thorns placed upon his head and then his hands and feet nailed to a cross. Jesus knew it all. And so he prayed. He turned to the Father for strength. In the Gospel of Luke, it even tells us that he sweat drops of blood, you know, as he prayed, implying that Jesus was under heavy pressure there in the garden, just like the olive press. Jesus was being crushed under the weight of the world's sin, which he was already carrying. Well, the two scriptures, again, that I read for this morning are the two prayers there that Jesus prays on his final night. And I would want us to think about them for just a moment. What did Jesus pray for in these prayers? Well, I see four things that Jesus prayed for on the night before the cross. First thing, from John 17, we read that Jesus prayed that God would be glorified in him. Jesus said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may now glorify you. The word glory means the light, truth, love, and power of God that has been revealed. In the wilderness, when the Israelites were walking there, they saw the glory of God on Mount Sinai and on the face of Moses after he met with God. Well, Jesus' main goal in life was to do the Father's will and that God would get the glory in him. That people would see the truth and love of God in him. So that they might truly know God in the face of Jesus Christ. The disciple John who wrote this book that we've been reading said in the very first chapter about Jesus. That the word became flesh made his dwelling among us and we've seen his glory. The glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is exactly what Jesus wanted to happen, that his disciples and others would see the truth and the glory of God in him and be saved. In fact, Jesus says here that he came to give people eternal life. And Jesus tells us in verse 3 what eternal life is. He said, this is eternal life, that they might know you. 
the one true God and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do, Jesus said. And so now, Father, be glorified in this. Jesus is first praying for God to get the glory in his life and in his death on the cross. Jesus even says here, you know, eternal life is that they might know you. So eternal life uh, uh, that Jesus came to give is not just an afterlife, but it is a life that truly knows God. And that word know is an intimate word in Hebrew. It means know as in a close relationship. It's like how you know your father and your mother or your spouse or your best friend. It isn't know like you know about George Washington or Michael Jordan. I can tell you a lot of facts about George Washington and Michael Jordan, but I don't know them. I haven't talked with them. I'm not their friend. I haven't shared a meal with them or known what was on their heart. I've only read about George Washington, and I've only seen Michael Jordan play basketball on television and watched interviews with him, but I've never met the man or had him over to my house or talked deeply about the things of life. I don't really know him, and he certainly doesn't know me. Well, Jesus came that we might know God, not just about God, not just facts and rules and laws and stories, but actually know God personally, like daily. Through Christ, we come to know our Father in heaven and are brought into a relationship with Him. Where no longer sin or darkness come between us, we now know Him and He knows us. We know His love and we feel His love, you know, and His will and His heart for us. And, and we love Him back and we can go to Him any time in Christ. This, for Jesus, is eternal life. And so in his final night, the first thing that Jesus prays for is that God would be glorified in him and that our world, each person, you and me included, would really know God. I ask you today, do you know about God or do you know God? Have you talked to him lately? Do you know that in Christ, the invisible was made visible that you might know him and that through faith in Christ, we are forgiven and the Holy Spirit comes to live in our life and we will know God every day throughout all eternity. Second thing that Jesus prayed, though, on this final night, he prayed for his disciples he loved these guys. He called them friends. He said in verse 9, I pray for them, not the world, but specifically for them. Jesus first prayed that God would get the glory in his life. But second, he expanded that circle now and prayed for his closest ones around him, his friends and his family. He said in verse 11, I'm going to remain in the world no longer, but they're still going to be in it. So, Father, protect them, watch over them now by the power of your name. In verse 15, Jesus prays, My prayer is not that you would take them out of the world, but that you would protect them from the evil one. And this, I think, is a really important prayer. Jesus doesn't pray that his disciples would escape the world or all of the sufferings of this world or all the trials and troubles of this world. 
It is for this world that he came and for this world that he is sending them out. They have a very important role in the world. They're going to be his eyewitnesses and pass on everything that he taught them and, and go and make more disciples and go to all the nations with the gospel and the salvation in, in, in Christ. And, and so he, they've got to remain, but he wants God the Father to protect them as they go out on the mission that he's given to them. In Matthew 28, 18, Jesus said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I'll be with you always to the very end of the age. You see, Jesus' hour has now come, and it will be over here. <laughs> but it's soon now going to be the disciples' hour. It's now going to be their time. They're going to share Jesus now with the whole world. They're going to start the church. And so Jesus prays that God the Father would protect them from the evil one as they go forth. Now, I was thinking about this prayer. Just like the previous one, Jesus prays that God would get the glory in his death. Here, Jesus prays that God would protect his disciples from the evil one. And you know, I was thinking about that because a lot of times I pray for the troubles in my life to be taken away, for God to deal with them. You know, all the difficulties and sicknesses, I just want them healed and I want them over. But, but can I pray like Jesus? Can I pray that if this road that I got to take is an important one, then God, I want you to get the glory no matter what happens to me. And can I pray for my loved ones, my, my kids and others, that not just for a pain-free, easy life, but for protection from the evil one as they do the things that they were meant to do, the things that God has called them to, however tough and hard they may be. The devil's going to tempt them. The devil's going to try to distract them or stop them. And so, Father, protect them as they go fulfill the mission and the purposes for which you created them. That's what Jesus prays. He loves his disciples, but he didn't pray that they'd be taken out of the world. But he prays, Father, protect them from the evil one as they go forth. We had a president of the covenant denomination a while back by the name of Glenn Palmberg, and he came up to Canada when I was serving there, and he spoke at a church nearby, and, and the Covenant Church had a young worship leader at the time who was college age, and, and he was so good, vocally an outstanding voice, and he, he played guitar, and he had the personality, he was really gifted individual, and a very good-looking young man as well. Well, after the worship service, I was with him, and President Palmberg came up to us, and he looked at this young man who had just led our worship service, and he he said to him, looked right at him and said, boy, the devil would like to get a hold of you. I'm praying that you keep serving Jesus like you are with all those gifts that he has given you. And I've never forgotten that interaction because it was so direct and I thought it was interesting and an odd statement at the time, but now I see it. Because in our lives and our young people's lives as well, this world will offer them everything of luxury and ease and comfort and glory if they use their gifts and talents for the world's sake. But the road 
that Christ calls us down is often one of self-denial and poverty and treasure built in heaven and, and sometimes a struggle, but it's worth it for the kingdom. And if we're just seeking our own personal happiness and comforts, we won't take the road at times that we should be taken with Jesus, the harder path. That's the one he might want us to take. And so Jesus prays for his disciples, you see here, not that they'll be taken out of the world, for he's sending them into it because their mission is so important. He doesn't want them to be taken out of the world, but he does want the Father to protect them from the evil one as they go and to sanctify them, which means set them apart for his will. Third thing Jesus prays, though, for in this is for us. Jesus literally prays for you and me. He says in verse 20, my prayer is not just for the disciples, but for those who will believe in me through their message. That's us. We're part of that group. Those who believe because of their testimony. I've told some of you this before, but about 10 years ago, I was in Israel there in Jerusalem, and I had about 20 minutes in the Garden of Gethsemane all by myself. It was an amazing miracle. It really was because you're never in the garden alone. It is always full of tourists. But I happened to walk over there one morning while it was still dark before the sun came up. And the gate, uh, which is normally closed and locked, that morning was open as if God had opened it for me. So I walked right in. I probably wasn't supposed to, but I did. And I sat there. I sat where, where Jesus sat 2,000 years ago in that garden under those olive trees, and I just prayed, and I found tears just running down my cheeks. In that prayer time, I felt the Lord was right there with me, and he was saying to me, I thought of you on the night when I prayed here long ago. I knew you even way back then. And it hit me so hard, long before I was born, my God already knew me. In the garden, Jesus was already praying for me and taking my sins upon the cross. Not just a world's sins, but my sins. You see, it's personal. Jesus prays for us. But if we really even read what Jesus prays for us, it would be this. In the scripture, it says that he prays that we would be one. That is his prayer for our unity, that we would be one with him and the Father and also with each other. Now, the order here is very important. Jesus first prayed that we would be one with him and the Father, which means a heart fully surrendered to God, finding our life in Christ. That is the first step. You can't have unity with others until you first have unity with God, peace with him. He's got to be first in your life. Then with his spirit and love at work, we are next called to unity with each other. But it begins with God, you see. In order to have true fellowship with each other, we first got to have it with God we got to come to Christ. We have to confess our sin and our need for forgiveness upon that cross. we got to put our faith in Him and His Word and seek Him daily. So first with God, and then it can happen with others. If we don't come to Christ, there's no unity here in the church. 
If we don't have Jesus as our common denominator, then we're just simply a collection of different people who believe different things about God and don't yield or agree on His Word and don't follow His commands and don't share the same Spirit but we're just trying to get along. And, and that might be okay out there in the world. That's how we Christians are to live and have peace amongst people in the world. But that isn't what God wants for us in here. What Jesus prays for us in here, for his church, for his believers, is that we would be one. We who share the same Father, who have the same Lord, who are saved by the same cross, baptized by the same Spirit, and have the same hope that we are looking forward to, and have the same Word of God that would guide and to lead us. We are to first come to oneness with God, and then in that unity in Christ, we are to let nothing divide us as the people belonging to Him. Ephesians 4, 1-6 says, As a prisoner for the Lord, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient and bear with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace, because there's one body. And one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Jesus is not talking here about multiple religions. He's talking to Christians and how those who confess Christ need to be so mindful and make every effort to keep the unity in the body. That word one that he mentions is the same language of marriage that we find in the Bible from the beginning. God's design for Adam and Eve was a special kind of oneness. The two people would lay down their life for each other, would lay down their wants to care for the other's needs, that they would share one heart and one mind and one purpose under one Lord. Well, that same language Jesus is now using for his church, that we who are many form one body. A scripture I often love to read at weddings is Ecclesiastes 4, which says a cord of three strands is not easily broken. And it means you, your spouse, and Jesus. If you have Christ in your heart and marriage, you are stronger. He will hold the two of you together as one if you keep him first. Well, the same is true in the church. When Christ is, is no longer our life or our Lord or our common ground, we can get divided by many things. But when we keep him central and the head of the church and the most important thing to us, well, then we will keep the unity. Then we will be one as he is one, and we'll be able to have the world see the truth of God in us. I encourage you to pray for this and pray for each other. If you have a problem with another believer, go right away and reconcile and forgive. I pray you do that in your marriages too, that together in Christ we wouldn't let anything come between us, that we would be one as the Father and Son are one. And then the final thing that Jesus prays in the garden is not my will, but yours be done. This is perhaps the most famous of Jesus' prayers on that night. Jesus, or John here in his gospel doesn't mention it, but Matthew, Mark, and Luke do. That's why I wanted to read it also. Jesus prayed, Father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, 
but your will be done. This cup meant the cross, the call on his life, and what God had sent him to do to save us from our sins. Jesus in his humanity is asking, Father, is there some other way? Because the burden is heavy. But Jesus adds, but if not, then your will be done. This is an important prayer for us to read and to remember uh, that Jesus was both fully human and fully divine. He experienced all the suffering and temptations and sorrow and fears that we do in this life. The whole human experience. He was not shielded, but he experienced it, but he was without sin. And in this moment, we see part of that humanity, his relatability, his struggle. This was no easy thing for him. Jesus was already feeling the weight of our sin and the father turning away. I mean, this was hard. I don't think that you and I can comprehend all that Jesus went through when he went to the cross. It wasn't even just the physical pain of the nails piercing his skin. It was the weight of every evil thing upon him. It was the spiritual abandoning of the Father. For Jesus took our sin and our punishment. And so we wouldn't have to experience that. Jesus in the garden is already beginning to face that. It is becoming real. And the pressure on him in that moment. He says, Father, if there's some other way. But if not, then your will will be done. And this perhaps is the, the one prayer we need to learn most. For we will face many difficult things and choices. But Jesus showed us how to pray. How to be honest with God. And also fully surrendered to God's will. Where in your life right now do you need to pray? Father, not my will, but yours be done in me. Have a wonderful Sunday. Thanks for listening to this week's message. To stay up to date with all of Bethlehem Covenant Church's information and events, head to bccwaverly.org.